the one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to criticize another's household slave? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person considers one day to be above another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honour of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it. Yet he thanks God. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and came to life for this, that he might rule over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you criticise your brother? Or you, why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the tribunal of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us no longer criticise one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in your brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy that one Christ died for by what you eat. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats. It is a noble thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. Do you have a conviction? Keep it to yourself before God. The man who does not condemn himself by what he approves is blessed, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from a conviction and everything that is not from a conviction is sin. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. For even the Messiah did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance. 
and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another, according to the command of Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. Therefore, accept one another, just as the Messiah also accepted you, to the glory of God. For I say that the Messiah became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises to the fathers, and so the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing psalms to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, all the people should praise him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the book of Romans, how it so clearly spells out the gospel, what you've done for us through Jesus, the way to salvation, the way to live in your presence forever. And Lord, it's not just head knowledge that we need to store up, but the gospel causes us to be transformed. And as you speak to us through these verses tonight, um, please help us to have hearts that are willing to listen and obedient. Amen. All right, so uh, I've got a few logos here. What comes to your mind? Give me a few words that come to your mind when you see that logo. Bacon, egg, McMuffin. Anyone else? All right, we'll make this. Hmm? All right, these guys, Beatles. Call it out. Rob, what do you think about the Beatles? <laughs> oh, you don't like them? Okay. Vegemite. I think only the non-Australians won't like this. Donald Trump. Bad hair. Kanye. Oh, everyone went silent. <laughs> uh, when we see a logo or someone, uh, we form a perception uh, of what we know of that person or know of their thing, of any experience that we've had with that person or thing. Like, none of us have ever met Kanye West I don't think anyone of us has. None of us have ever met Donald Trump, uh, but we have an idea of what they're like because of what we've heard about them in the media or because of what we've um, yeah, seen them do in the media. Um, and in the same way, when people come to church, they form a perception from what they see at church, from what they hear about our church. Uh, I wonder if a guest came into our church at Town. Uh, and they started to attend for a couple of weeks and was just observing what we did here, what would they observe about us? Would they just see a bunch of religious people that gather here every Sunday going through the motions? Or will they see people that are transformed by what Jesus has done for us and be pointed towards him to glorify God? Would they see his love overflowing from each, each and every one of us? That despite our backgrounds, 
our differences, disagreements we have, will they see that we still love and care for one another? If someone came to church, would they see unity in our church? See, from Romans 12 onwards, Paul has been teaching us that because of the gospel that was explained in chapters 1 to 11, those who have put their trust in Jesus should be living lives that are transformed and pleasing to God, transformed by the gospel and not remaining the way that they used to live before, but living for God. When we have an understanding of the gospel, a true understanding of the gospel, we surrender our whole lives to God. We have a desire to be obedient to him. And as Greg said last week, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. Uh, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. Hashtag Greg Paisley. That was a good quote. Uh, and so, in the verses that we're looking at today, Paul is going to explain another as- aspect of the Christian life that should be transformed by the gospel. And that's our relationships. And the big idea that he's saying is that the relationships that we have at church should be one of unity that we are to be unified as God's people because it brings him glory. Unity brings God glory. And the reason why we will be obedient to what God calls us to do in his word is because the gospel calls us to be obedient to it. See, Paul's intent behind the letter of Romans isn't just so that we can fill our head with knowledge and know all the little details about the gospel, but it's a call to obedience and to advance that obedience. He opens the book of Romans talking about how it's a call to the obedience of the faith. And then when we look at chapter 16, which we'll hear next week, he continues to say, and to advance the obedience to the faith. See, knowing the gospel isn't just to observe. The gospel isn't something that we just observe, but we live it out in obedience. Uh, and that's why we will be obedient if we understand the gospel to what we're hearing in these verses today. Uh, So we're going to go through three places today. What does unity look like? The example to follow and pursue unity because it's a part of God's plan. So firstly, what does unity look like? So unity from these verses look like not arguing about doubtful issues, but instead building each other up. Now the NIV version uses the word disputable instead of doubtful. And I like that, so I'm going to use disputable. Uh, So if you look at chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, accept anyone who is weak in faith. Don't argue about disputable matters. One, One person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak only eats vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not criticize one who does, because God has accepted him. So what's been happening at the church in Rome is that it was made up of both Jewish and Gentile Christians. So Gentiles are people that aren't Jews. We're all Gentiles, unless you're Jewish, but assume we're all Gentiles. Uh, And the problem that was arising among them was in regards to food laws and celebrating special days. So when we look at the Old Testament, we see God gave his people commands to be different from the people around them uh, by abstaining from certain sorts of foods or celebrating special days in remembrance for what God had done for them. However, with the coming of Jesus, these food laws and celebration of certain days, they are all now in the past. And Paul addressed that in chapter 7. There's no longer certain foods that Christians should or shouldn't eat. Uh, Jesus, in the Gospels, declared all food to be clean. Uh, Nor there's special days that we need to observe. 
See, the way that God's people are set apart from other people around them today is by trusting in Jesus, by trusting in the gospel and living for him. Uh, But what seems to be happening at the time is that the Jews at the church in Rome were insisting that these practices of observing food and observing certain days, they were expecting that the Gentiles should follow that. So you can see how this possibly could cause division in the church. The Gentiles who wouldn't have had this upbringing of observing certain days or eating certain food, they wouldn't have seen the importance of why they needed to do those things. They understood the gospel that Jesus had done everything for them and so they were saved. There was nothing else that they needed to do. However, the Jews who were brought up in this way, uh, which was part of their culture, part of their identity even, uh, it would have been really hard for them to let go of these customs. And so Paul, who himself is a Jew... Uh, he yet sides with the Gentiles and says that, that these practices don't need to be observed. However, the Jews and Gentiles shouldn't argue over these disputable matters. Uh, and so what's Paul meaning by disputable matters? Uh, a disputable matter is something that they're arguing about, but there's nothing inherently wrong or sinful about that thing. So just to be clear, Paul isn't talking about the gospel. He's not uh, saying to dispute about anything that he said in chapters 1 to 11. The gospel is clear and there's nothing to dispute about that. But certain practices like the observance of uh, certain days or eating certain food, uh, Paul is saying that if someone feels convicted that they should follow these things, then they should be obedient to the conscience. However, it's wrong if they try to force those views on someone who doesn't observe those practices because that's contradictory to the gospel. See, the gospel is clear God does not accept us on what we do or what we don't do. And so therefore, if those who are weak, as Paul refers to them, force their opinion on those who are strong, those who uh, realise the implications of the gospel, they're losing the focus of the gospel. Uh, And so when Paul refers to these others as weak, he's not implying that the weak aren't saved or even that they don't trust Jesus Rather, he's referring to their weakness in not fully understanding the implications of the gospel. There's nothing that these Jews need to do to increase their favour with God. What Jesus has done is enough. And in contrast, he refers to the others as strong, including himself, uh, because they understand that the gospel completely sets them free. They're free to eat the meat and drink the wine. There's nothing that they need to do to increase their favour with God because what Jesus has done is enough. However, Paul goes on to say that just because those who are strong understand the implications of the gospel, that doesn't mean that they can just go and do whatever they want to do now. So if you look at chapter 15, verses 1 to 2. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each of us must please his neighbour for his good to build him up. See, what Paul is saying is that those who understand the freedom that they have in Christ are to help those that are weaker, even if it means giving up their freedom when they are around those who are weak. That's what being obedient to the gospel looks like. He says if those who are strong continue to just do whatever they want to do and hurt their brother's conscience, then they're not acting out of love. So, let me help you illustrate this. So Holly, uh, Holly's family, my wife Holly, we go skiing every year with them um, and they've been doing it for many years. Uh, and so I had 
never had gone skiing in my life before. I went to the snow, built snowmen, but never really skied. And the first time I went to a skiing trip with them, um, you know, I got the skis. I was pretty keen to do it. Uh, but I was happy staying at the magic carpet down at the bottom. So those of you guys who don't know the magic carpet, it's just this little escalator that you probably go from here to the door. There's a little slope and you come back down. And I was happy skiing with all the kids. It was fun. I was having heaps of fun. Um, and then my father-in-law, and Holly as well, she didn't save me, he decided I'm going to take him up on the chairlift and took me right to the top of the ski slope. And when we got to the top of the ski slope, down goes everyone, and I'm looking at my death. Um, I don't know if they didn't want me to date Holly or, or what was happening, but I was thinking, how am I going to get down this ski slope? And so I ended up just uh, going from tree to tree. I go, hit a tree, go zigzag the other one, and eventually made my way down. Uh, but it's similar to what Paul is saying here. Those who are strong, i.e. those that can ski, they shouldn't leave the weak, people like me, <laughs> up on the slope struggling. They're to bear with the weak and help them to ski down the slope. Why? Because if you look at verse 6 in chapter 15, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, therefore, unity looks like bearing with one another on disputable matters. Paul is not saying that those in the Roman church uh, who are strong should do what the weak say, but instead bear with them because that brings glory to God. So what does that mean for us? I mean, we don't discriminate on food anymore. We eat what we want um, and praise God for that. But there are disputable matters that rise up for us today. And a simple one... Um, or easy one for us to understand, is alcohol, right? Alcohol is an, inherently sinful, is an inherently sinful thing. But some people, myself included, grew up in a family who said no to alcohol uh, because of the experiences that they had with it in the past. And so it's disputable issues like this where we're called to bear with those who might have a convic uh, conviction to promote unity. So if someone struggled with drinking alcohol, I shouldn't drink alcohol with that person because they struggle with it. Instead, out of love, I should abstain from drinking alcohol when I'm around them. Uh, but other than alcohol, there's also a number of other disputable issues that can cause division in our church today. See, we live in a society where we're told as individuals we're the center of, of the world, that almost anything is replaceable. You know the phrase, you do you? When we don't like something, we move on to something new. Uh, if you think about Netflix, for example, right? Gone are the days when you hired a DVD, and if the DVD was crap, then too bad. You got it at home. You have to watch it. With Netflix, that's completely different. Everything is catered towards your preference. There's a whole section that says suggestions for you. And if you don't like it, then you just move on to whatever you want. See, sadly, this Netflix mentality has flowed over into the church as well. See, in today's society, people see church as being something that's expendable, just like everything else. We don't like it, and we move on. Uh, there's this book called Uncomfortable. It's a good book, uh, and he, he puts it this way. We want comfortable chairs, comfortable music, comfortable preaching, comfortable relationships, comfortable sanctification, comfortable accountability, and even comfortable post-sermon coffee, medium roast, of course. See, the point that he's making is that sometimes we can make church all about what we want. 
We need to ask God to flush this consumeristic Christianity out of our heads and understand that any church that we go to is never going to be perfect. There's always going to be people and things at churches that we don't necessarily agree on about things with everything that they, they go on with. But unless it's a gospel issue, God calls us to pursue unity for his glory, to build each other up rather than just leave and cause division. Unity looks like bearing with one another over disputable issues and building each other up for God's glory. So, when people see you as an individual, if they came and met you here today at church, would they see you as someone who promotes unity, that builds people up, or would they see you as someone who complains and tears people down? Secondly, to help us pursue this unity, we're to look at Christ as an example. We're to look at the example that Jesus set and we're to follow him. Look at chapter 15, verse 3. For even the Messiah did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And jump down to verse 7. Therefore, accept one another, just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. Now, we all have people that we look up to or have looked up to in life, whether it be an athlete, a mentor, a musician, a relative, our parents, whoever it may be. Uh, And we follow these people. We look up to them. We dress the way they dress, maybe follow the same career paths that they follow. Uh, If it's an athlete, we might buy the same gear that they use, hoping that it makes us better at whatever sport we're doing. Uh, We follow their workout routines, diet plans. We admire them and we want to be like them. So I used to love... The Rock. I still love The Rock. He's good. Um, When I used to go to the gym. uh, And I used to follow his workout routines. I bought Under Armour gear because, you know, that's what he used. Not if it fits me anymore because I put on weight. But I looked at him and I followed him. And in the same way, but at a much higher level than just being a fan. Take him off the screen. uh, Than just being a fan. Paul calls us to look to Jesus as an example to follow uh, as we pursue unity in the church. See, in both his life and his death, Jesus wasn't concerned about himself, but rather he was concerned about bringing God glory and working for our good. Instead of considering himself and his own benefit, Jesus took upon himself our accusations for rejecting God and he died for it, as we heard when we are taking the Lord's Supper. See, it's like Paul is saying, like when you look at the scriptures, when you look at the gospels and you see what Jesus went through for us, when you see that he was flogged, when you see that he was whipped for us, that we should have been in his place. When he died for us, he's saying, when you look at what Jesus has done for you, can you at least bear with your brother that annoys you at church? Can you at least bear with your sister who might walk past you and not say hi? Philippians 2, he says this, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself, assuming the form of a slave, taking the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
our pursuit for unity in the church, unity with our brothers and sisters, it needs to be based on what Jesus has done for us, following his example. If we try to do it on our own, reading self-help books or somehow doing it on our own effort, we're going to fail. And that's why in verses 5 and 6 in chapter 15, Paul prays for the church saying, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. The unity that brings God glory comes from him. We can't reach it on our own. We need to follow Jesus' example to be united. I think one of the biggest things that causes disunity in our church today is that we don't look to Jesus and follow his example. Sometimes I think we come to church and we look to find satisfaction in the church, in the people of the church. We look for our needs to be met by them. And so if the church doesn't meet our needs, then we feel like the church doesn't care for us. The thing is, if we're looking to the church for our satisfaction, if you're looking to Pitt Town Church for your satisfaction, then we're setting ourselves up for, for failure. Now, please don't hear me say that we don't have a responsibility to take care of one another and love one another. Yes, as a church, we're called to love and care for one another, to bear with each other. That's the gospel outworking in our lives. However, at the same time, we've got to realize that the church is full of sinful and broken people. See, I guarantee if you put your trust in me, I'm going to let you down. And if I haven't let you down, it's coming up soon. Probably this year or next year is coming up. If you put your trust in Greg, he's going to let you down. If you put your trust in Chris, he's Chris is pretty nice, but he'll probably let you down as well, right? If we place our expectations on the church, on the people in church to satisfy us, I guarantee you, you're going to be let down. But when we put our trust in Jesus and we follow his example, I guarantee you that he will never let you down. You'll find complete satisfaction in him. By finding our satisfaction in him, it then enables us to follow his example in not living to please ourselves, but to be other person-centered. See, by following Jesus' example, if someone in church forgets to talk to you or things aren't running the way that you'd like them to run, you know, whether it be the music or the way things are organized or done, when we look to Jesus and follow his example, these things won't push us away or tear us down. By following Jesus' example, it will motivate us not to complain and gossip and tear down others when something upsets us. Instead, by looking to Jesus, we'll be motivated to bear with people and build them up. Instead of complaining about the person who walked beside walk past you without saying hi, following Jesus' example will help us to go up to that person and say hi to them. Instead of complaining about how things are never done perfectly, we'll be motivated to see how we can help because we're all in this together. Instead of saying that we don't have friends at church, we'll look to Jesus and see how he's united us as brothers and sisters. We're already part of the family and that would motivate us to go and make friends ourselves. Find your satisfaction in Jesus, not in the church, not in the people of the church. Being unified isn't going to come naturally to us. We need to look to Jesus following his example, and we need to pray and ask for his help 
in being unified for God's glory. And point number three, pursue unity because it's part of God's plan. God has been working his great plan of salvation, uniting people to himself and bringing them into one body throughout the whole of history. Right from the beginning of the Bible, we look at Genesis uh, and God makes a promise to a man called Abraham. He says, Abraham, all people on earth will be blessed through you. Uh, and so in the last verses of, uh, of our section that we're looking at tonight, Paul gives us a series of quotations uh, from the Old Testament showing how this promise uh, of blessing has progressed and how it was always God's purpose to have a united people of all nations, Jew and Gentile, together united for his glory. Uh, so have a look. You've got to look at the Bible for this because it won't make sense if you don't. So verse 9 firstly shows us that God's name will be praised among the Gentiles by his people. So look at verse 9. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing psalms to your name. Then moving on to verse 10, we now see that Gentiles are invited to be in with God's people. Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11, again, now the Gentiles are called and Jews together, all people to praise God. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. All the people should praise him. And lastly, from the book of Isaiah in verse 12, all of this, people being united to praise God, will be accomplished by the root of Jesse, a.k.a. Jesus, as the nations come under his rule and find hope in him. The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. See, what Paul is showing the Roman church and he's showing us by giving us these Old Testament scriptures is that God treasures unity among his people because it brings him glory. And can you see why we have to read the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament? God's plans and purposes are revealed through his word. His word helps us to understand his will and to live according to it. Look back to verse 4 in chapter 15. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. See, what what Paul is saying uh, is sort of like, you know when you watch a movie and there's a twist at the ending, and you're like, whoa, didn't see that coming. Uh, But then you watch the movie again, and then you can pick up along the way, oh, I saw how they were setting up that twist all the way along. Uh, If if you haven't watched Shutter Island, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil it for you. Um, But Shutter Island is about a US marshal, and he's attempting to track down an escaped prisoner, uh, called Rachel from a mental asylum, for murdering her three children. Uh, and the twist at the ending is that the US marshal, he is the one that ends up being a mental patient, and he's in the mental hosp- hospital because he murdered his wife, Rachel, because she murdered their three children. And so the whole game of being a uh, detective was made up to try and shake him of his insanity. It's a good movie. You should watch it. Um, (laughs) And then when you watch the movie again, when you go uh, back to start and start watching it, you start seeing how there's these little clues all the way that's pointing to the twist in the end. And in a way, that's what God has done through the scriptures. When we read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, It's like watching a movie with the commentary on. I don't know why people do that. It's really annoying. But when you have the director's voice explaining what's going on, that's what happens when we read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. 
we see that God has always been working to redeem his people and unify them under one king, who is Jesus. See, therefore, if God has been working throughout history to reconcile humanity to himself for his glory, then we better get on board. If the believers in Rome and we truly understand that this is what God has been doing throughout history, when we realize that, um, that God's people being unified uh, is what God has been working towards through all, throughout all of history, um, that should take priority over the minor differences that we have. Uh, and the warning that comes from that as well is that if God has been working throughout history to unify his people, we shouldn't even dare to cause disunity in church, to separate what God has brought together. Because if unity brings God glory, to cause disunity is to diminish his glory. God has bringing people together, uniting his people long before I lived, long before you lived. So let's get along with what he's doing rather than fighting against it. Unity is hard and we're always going to struggle with it. Each of us are different and we're always going to find something to disagree on. Uh, And that's why Paul concludes this section with a prayer again, that God will fill the church with joy, with peace and with hope. Um, Read this verse with me from 1 Thessalonians. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus. We see here that the fruit of hope is endurance. Paul knows that pursuing unity isn't going to be easy and therefore he prays that the church in Rome will endure in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Maintaining unity can be hard work and so we need to keep our eye on the prize. The prize is heaven, being in Jesus' presence forever, with each other, with people all around the world, united in perfect union. So, to go back to what I started with, if someone came to church today, would they see this unity in us, the unity that brings God glory? Would they see us bearing with each other's differences, with what we disagree on? Would they see us transformed by the gospel and being obedient to the faith? I pray that we here at Pitt Town will endure in hope by the power of God's spirit to be people who are united to bring God's glory. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that it's you that helps us to be unified because we would fail at it and we do fail at it constantly. Please help us to see that being unified and bearing with one another, following Jesus' example, seeing that this has always been part of your plan, please help us to let that take priority in our lives. That when guests come to church, that they would see that we are unified because of what Jesus has done for us and that you would be glorified because of that. Jesus name I ask this. Amen.